Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. So, so some of you know the story, but about 10 years ago, uh, Steph and I were, uh, I was a marriage pastor at uh, a large church in Houston, and, and we, we set out to launch a, a new Bible study class for young adults, for young married couples. And so we promoted it, we, we plugged it, we, we set out and, and just, we talked it up, we were recruiting and, and the day came, that morning came, and we, we set up shop in our little Sunday school classroom, uh, and there was, there was two gallons of, of orange juice, we had a couple dozen like blazing hot, sweet smelling, perfectly glazed donuts ready to go, and Steph and I, we came in, and it was me and Steph and her sister and brother-in-law. And that was our first Bible study class was the four of us. And, and we had really talked it up to them. So we had to explain uh, that it was, we thought maybe more people would come. And so uh, the class, it, it grew. So that first Sunday, there were, there were two couples. And then the second Sunday, there were four couples. And then by the third Sunday, there were seven couples. And over the course of a year, the class grew to over 40, uh, 45 couples and it, it, we really felt like for just you, you have these times in ministry where we felt like we caught lightning in a bottle. We, we really we really did. And, and uh, out of that one Bible study class, uh, there were five small groups that, that started. Uh, we, we saw uh, where couples were sharing meals. We were sharing meals with one another. We were we were uh, hanging out in, in each other's homes together. We played softball together. We played, we played flag football together. My lower back was a little healthier then. Uh, we, we ministered to the homeless together. We, we shared uh, all sorts of things. We, we served our community together. And, and Steph and I, we look back on that season, and it was a, it was a really special time of ministry for us. It, it really was. And we felt that in many ways, we were experiencing just a taste of Acts chapter 2, of this, this fellowship that, that you see in Acts chapter 2. And we, now we experienced numerical growth. Sure, absolutely. We, we saw our, our numbers grow, but more than that, we saw these couples move from sort of like this spiritual infancy. These were couples who, they, they were not trying to connect with anybody. In fact, they were the couples when like the invitation started at church. They're, they're, they're just, they're like, peace, we're out. They were, they, they were gone. And we saw couples move from that to, man, leading Bible studies and leading mission trips and pouring themselves out for the sake of the gospel. Couples mutually just giving themselves to one another, not, not from a place of obligation, 
but, but from like a legit place of gospel transformation. Man, God had, God had changed their hearts. And we saw, we saw this devotion to the Word of God. And we saw a, a devotion to biblical community. And this morning, I, I want to tell you all, God, God has ordained the church as an instrument of grace. Amen? We can amen even with the mass. You still amen, okay? God has ordained the local church as an instrument of grace. Listen, not just for the, the world, a world that is watching, but God has ordained the church as an instrument of grace for, for one another. And so if you're here or, or if you're listening, uh, listen, if you're, if you're longing for connection, if you're longing for significance, if you're, if you're longing for like the, the reality of, of this Acts chapter 2 fellowship, this, this passage and this message is for you. And, and I think any healthy Christian desires this. We, we desire this, this Acts 2 reality. And the question is, are you, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to allow God's grace to transform your heart in such a way that you give yourself fully, fully to the church and fully to this fellowship? And so this morning, last week, we talked about a gospel-formed uh, fellowship uh, of repentance. And uh, first Sunday back, and uh, you got to hear repent, right? And uh, welcome back from quarantine, repent. Uh, and, and this Sunday, we're going to look at a gospel-formed fellowship of, of reciprocity. A gospel-formed fellowship of reciprocity. That word reciprocity just means the, the practice of exchanging things with others for mutual benefit. And so I, I want to read, I know, I know Pastor Kevin already read, I want to read it one more time, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And the text just says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and they had all things in common. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The two points this morning, the, the, the first is this. The first thing that, that I, I want to look at is, is this. Theirs was a reciprocity that was rooted in Scripture. Rooted in Scripture. You don't have to look at your neighbor. I know we're trying to social distance well, but I want you to say, rooted in Scripture. There we go. It's like a B minus. I think we'll get there with the second point, okay? They were rooted in Scripture. Uh, verse 42 says they were devoted. They were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In, in the Greek, that word devoted means to, check this out, to continue to do something with intense effort with the possible implication of, of persisting in it despite difficulty. Despite difficulty. It, church, this was a steadfast 
single-minded devotion to the Word of God. And I want you to think about that definition. Intense effort despite difficulty. Intense effort despite difficulty. Christian, it is a problem that the vast majority of the American church like, don't read their Bibles. Like, we, we forget that what we have in our hands is built on the foundation of martyred apostles. Like we, we forget that, that there is a, listen, we lose sight that there is this satanic organized effort over millennia to squelch and to snuff out the Word of God. Like we, we lose sight of the fact that there are, there are countless, there are millions if not more Christians all over the globe who would give anything to have their own copy of Scripture in their hands. And we lose sight that this is the, that this is the living, Holy Spirit-inspired heart and plan of God given to us. Kent Hughes says that Christ, these, these new Christians, under the reign of the Holy Spirit, man, they were hungry for God's Word. And Hugh says they couldn't get enough of it. Being filled with the Spirit and being filled with God's Word, Hugh says, go together. And it was R.C. Sproul who said, there is, check this out, church, there is no such thing as a Spirit-filled Christian who neglects the study of the Word of God. There is no such thing as a Spirit-filled church that does not give itself continually and steadfastly to the study of Scripture. And I've talked about this so many times, church, but the minute we put this down, we pick up a Jesus of our own making. The minute we put this Word down, we pick up a Jesus of our own making. And almost always, if not always, it's going to be a Jesus that is more palatable, it's going to be a Jesus that is non-offensive. It is going to be a Jesus who would never call you to give everything, to sacrifice, or let alone to die. Colossians, Paul says in Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Church family, I, I, I grew up in a home where the Word of God was, the Bible was studied. Where, where we dug in, it was read, it was studied. But it, but it wasn't until I came to college that I, I developed a, a love for the Word of God. And a, a hunger for the Word of God. Because we, week in and week out, as, as God brought us to AM, Steph and I went to Central and we sat under the teaching and preaching of Pastor Chris Osborne. And you can't even make this stuff up. At what point, this brother took seven years to go through Matthew. Like, we're going to be a couple years in Acts, and if you get antsy, just remember seven, okay? Seven years to get through Matthew. And, and like I, I had never heard anybody exposit the Word of God like that. I, I walked away each week just challenged with a, a deeper understanding of the Word, a deeper desire to know God through Scripture. And he didn't, he didn't just use the Bible as like a proof text to like talk about whatever he wanted to talk about. He didn't just cherry pick Scripture to, to make a, a point to, to hit a topic. 
topic or to, to hit some area of culture. Man, he dug in. And in the meantime, for Steph and I both, we got plugged into to a Bible study, college Bible studies with our peers. And it was during this time that Henry Blackaby's words came alive to me that God speaks primarily through His Word. God speaks primarily through His Word. It's not, a, it's not a shock to me that the American church is increasingly, hear me, confused on what were once essential matters of the faith. Like, well, like we're all of a sudden like, I don't know, does it really say that? I know that's kind of what like orthodoxy has said for 2,000 years, but maybe not, you know? One commentator says, in a non-reading, experience-oriented culture, solid Bible teaching is sometimes hard to find. Here's what I want to say. It, it, it should not be normal for Christians to hang out as much as we do without our Bibles. It should not be normal uh, for Christians to be quicker to reference that blog that article or that book before we reference the Scriptures should not be normal. Church, our Bibles should be marked up. And they should be worn out. They should be falling apart. And I know I'm old school. I know, I know I'm old school. I talk to brothers who are like, man, I, I just I read the Bible on my phone, right? I got my, I got my plan. I read my Bible on the phone. Listen, no, no judgment, right? Like I see some of the heads dropping. Like, hey, if that's you, I, again, I, I'm, uh, I, I miss the millennial cutoff by just a hair. So I, I get it. I'm old school. But here, here's, what I, here's what, what I would say. Keep in mind that all the forces of hell are bent on keeping you away from Scripture. Keeping you away from the Word. So if that device on which you're reading your Bible can alert you to a text message, to an email, can give you a messenger notification, can pop up a news article, or can lure you away and distract your mind 20 minutes in the 15, 20 times in the 15 minutes you're trying to read your Bible, you may want to put that bad boy down and pick up and pick up the leather <laughs> or, or pleather <laughs> or whatever or whatever your Bible's made from. And you say, I, I just, you say, I, I just, I don't, I don't feel like, de man, devoted, devoted to the, devoted to the word. You say, I just, man, I just don't feel like reading. Do you think that's a coincidence? Listen, Jesus didn't feel like getting nails through his hands, but he went to the cross for us. So maybe we could pick up his word on days we don't feel like it. You say, yeah, but there's, there's just so much I, I, I don't understand. Well, let me give you a few things. Say, I, I open the Bible up and I, I just don't understand. Number one, you need to find you a version that you can read. Right? Find a translation that, that is readable for you, whether it's a new international version or a new living translation. And the second thing is this. Again, devoted entails intense effort. <laughs> we we tell our boys all the time, we tell Luke and Levi, Titus and Ben, we say, hey, do hard things. True story, guys. 
True story. They're nodding their heads. Okay? Uh, we tell them, do hard things. Yes, there are parts of Scripture that are hard to grasp, but not reading will not get you there. <laughs> not reading will not get you there. And if you will commit to reading through the Bible multiple times while immersed in gospel-centered community over time, and it will take time, it's a process, you will grow Right? God's, God's word will become a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. And you'll, you'll grow in your understanding. And more importantly, you're going to grow in your application of the word. And the third thing I would say about this is John, listen, John 5 39 through 40, we see this in Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. We see this truth. The Bible is not the end goal, Jesus is the end goal. Amen? So the, the Bible is God's primary means to the end goal of knowing Jesus Christ. And so never, never lose sight of that because one day, listen, if, you, if one day you discover that you're a Bible guru, but you don't love Jesus and you don't love people, you've missed the whole point. And in a moment, I, I, we're going to dive into fellowship. We've been talking about a devotion to the word, but before I do, I want to say this. Your closest community, hear me, this is important. I don't care if you're a kid. I don't care if you're a college student. I don't care if you're in your 60s or 70s. Your closest community will drive your spiritual convictions and disciplines as well. If you hang with people who don't read the Bible, their worldview, guess what? It's not going to be driven by the Bible. And guess what? Your Bible reading habits and your worldview are nearly always going to closely mirror those of your friends. And so if they, and, and I want to be careful how I say this, if they substitute, if they substitute the podcast, and if they substitute the, the books and the devotionals and the articles and, and all these other things, if they substitute watered down, ear tickling, teaching and preaching, guess what you're going to be tempted to do? You're going to be tempted to do the same. Find people who love the Bible. I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm talking find people who love the Bible more than you do and go hang with them. Tony Morita says this, God builds His church by His Word. God builds His church by His Word. And I would, I would add this, God sanctifies and He sets his, uh, apart His church through the Word. And so in John 17, as Jesus is praying this high priestly prayer, and He's praying for you, and He's, he's praying for me, and He's going before the Father, and He says this, He says, sanctify them. John 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Second thing this morning, not only do we see a reciprocity that, that was... Uh, that was rooted in Scripture, we see a reciprocity that revolved around fellowship. And we've managed to cover half of verse 42 with more than half our time this morning. But an interesting fact about the remainder of this, of this passage 
check this out. In the Greek text, verse 42 reveals that the early church community was devoted to two things. They were devoted to Scripture and they were devoted to fellowship. So everything that flows after verse 42, right? Everything that flows after fellowship, the breaking of bread, prayer, communion, the description of giving, them sharing their lives with one another, the worship, the unity, all of it is describing the fellowship. Y'all with me? All of that is, is, is descriptive of this fellowship. Fellowship in the Greek, this word koinonia is an association. It just means this, an association involving close, mutual relations and involvement. See, koinonia, fellowship, it entailed a shared life. A shared life. I think Paul said it the best in 1 Thessalonians 2.8 when he said, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves as you had become very dear to us. Church, we're, listen, we're not just called to share the information of the gospel. Amen? Like, man... How empty and, and just transactional is that? Here's this information. Do you believe it? Yes, no. We're not just called to share the information of the gospel. The, the scripture compels us to share our lives. And this is, this is biblical community. And, and you, you need to hear this this morning. It is a two-way commitment. Amen? It is a two-way commitment. Like we've, we've lost sight of this in the American church. We've lost sight of this in the American church where I think everybody's like just, they're, they're asking, man, what do I get out of this? Like, how does this make me feel? What, like, what, you know, what, what am, what, what's in it for me? And I think at some point, at some point, you've got to understand that fellowship comes through giving. Fellowship comes through giving. Restoration family, gospel-entrenched hearts, they give. They give. If Jesus has transformed our hearts through His grace, we've got to understand that, that giving flows from grace. Amen? Man, giving flows from grace. Kent Hughes says true fellowship costs. So many people never know, Hughes says, the joys of Christian fellowship because they've never learned to give themselves away. Let me say that again. True fellowship costs. So many people never know the joys, Kent Hughes says, of Christian fellowship because they've never learned to give themselves away. Biblical community requires something from you. Right? It's not just something where you roll up on the spot and it's not just something that, that you get benefit from. The, the community gets the benefit from your shared life. That's the picture of this koinonia. That's the picture of the fellowship. See, it's easy to love the idea of community. Right? We all read Acts 2 and we get geeked out and it's like, yes! You know, and, and I think we get this like idealized picture. But listen, that was a the early church community was a messy, broken church, just like any other church. Think about it. Like a few days before, like 3000 people trusted Jesus at one time. You got a bunch of spiritual infants like hanging out, trying to figure out how to do church together. 
right? They're like, where's the seasoned brother who like has been walking with Jesus for a minute? There's just 12 of them, right? And so we like, it's easy to love the idea of community. We don't always like the reality of community. This is why people, listen, this is why people bounce, right? When it gets hard. It's why when, when there's conflict, when, when community begins to do its sort of sanctifying and refining work, people bounce. And, and yes, we, we, fellowship can encourage and fellowship can absolutely exhort, but sometimes growth man, comes from being pruned. Sometimes we, we need that hard word. Like even Listen, even when that brother or sister doesn't say it in just the right way, right? Because let's just, let's just amen that sometimes messengers don't get it all right. You're like, amen. <laughs> Gospel fam is messy. You got to give and, and receive grace, and you give and you receive accountability. It never ceases to amaze me when, when I talk to people who are, and, and, and I'm not, listen, I'm not talking about restoration people. I'm, I'm talking about over 18 years of doing ministry full time, talking to people who, who, Leave a church. Steph and, Steph and I grew up in a in a town where there was three little Baptist churches, and people just kind of hopped. <laughs> it's like they just moved from one Baptist church to another, and there was like a rotation, you know, every every five years. And and th- there are legitimate reasons to leave church fellowships. I'm not discounting that, but it never ceases to amaze me when I talk to people who are leaving, and they say, "Yeah, like we just didn't, we just didn't." feel connected or we just weren't having our needs met and it's like man did you pour yourself into a small group well no well well did you uh were you were you did you look to build bridges and relationships with others well not really we kind of we kind of bounced out during the invitation most weeks did you pour yourself into the Sunday gathering? Did you pour yourself into serving and giving? Well, no, not, not, not really. Did, have you approached fellowship sacrificially and humbly? Let me, let me be clear. Like church hurt is, is real, right? Church hurt is a real thing, but more and more I see where, where people, they, they pull away from the grace of fellowship. They stop growing in grace. And hear me, church family, then they stop, they start looking for people to blame and for reasons to bail. And restoration fam, like that's not the picture of Acts 2. The, the early church was devoted to this gospel reciprocity. I mean, they, they took communion together. Look at the verses 42 through 46. They broke bread together. They prayed together. They shared their lives with one another. They broke bread together. Amen for, for the Boguses MCG, right? We've lost people to their group because of their home cooking, Okay. It's not a competition with small groups. But some people would say, they look at at verses 42 through 46 and they say, here's the proof text. Here it is. 
Here's the proof text for socialism, right? Really? I read where one commentator, I've got several that I'm reading through, said that the early church gave up all thought of private property. No, that's not what the text says. In fact, in Acts 4, we're going to see this. It was Barnabas's land to give or to keep. It was this brother's land until he gave it away. In Acts 5, even with Acts 5, Peter with Ananias says, your stuff was your stuff to give or to keep. Church, this wasn't socialism. It was gospelism. There was no external constraint to give. There was no external, there was no, the government, there was no ecclesiastical church authority saying you had to give. Man, the source was the gospel, amen? The source was the gospel. And many, many people will say, well, man, this is the ideal picture for all churches at all times, living together, everyone sharing everything. Like there's seven of us in my fam. So, I mean, we can come over to your house and live there and get share until the boys eat you out of house and home. Um, so people say, well, this, this, this is it. This is the proof text for the church of all time. Maybe. Let, let, me, let me paint an admittedly hypothetical picture for you. 3,000 Jews come to faith and are baptized in pools all over Jerusalem at one time. <laughs> Probably... As we're going to see in Acts 3 and 4, not probably, it would have drawn immense attention to this movement. There would have been immediate, we talked about this last week, ostracizing for many Jews. There would have been Jews that were ostracized from family, Jews that were ostracized from temple worship, from work, among other things. And if ever there was a time for community to share like this, the context demanded it. So let's have the humility to confess that a devotion to the Bible and to fellowship may look different across contexts and cultures. Amen? This is not a blank, blanket proof text for all churches of all times. What about my, what about my house church peeps? Because we've got to address it, right? I'm not knocking the house church movement. I'm saying this is not the proof text. Read the text, the believers they met for public worship and witness in Solomon's colonnade, which ran along the east side of the outer court. And they met in homes to break bread together, to pray one, to one, for what, with one another, to devote themselves to, to studying the scriptures. Were there large gatherings? Yes. Were there small gatherings? Yes, you, you need both. But Acts 2 is not a proof text for the house church movement. What it is an apologetic for is for relational discipleship within biblical community. And if you, if you do find yourself as part of a large church, it means you've got to break the large down the large gathering down into smaller gatherings to ensure the right environment for this reciprocity that is rooted in Scripture and in fellowship. 
And I'll close with this this morning and we're done. In the early church, we see this gospel-formed reciprocity. We see this reciprocity that was rooted in Scripture, rooted in fellowship. And, And none of it, none of it happened without the gospel. See, I... We all want the spiritual life that gospel fellowship can bring and enhance. We just don't want to die to self. And here's what you got to understand. Without the death of Christ in your place, you can't die to yourself. See, as Peter in Matthew 26 as Jesus is about to be crucified for the sin of the world, Peter goes before Jesus and he says, Jesus, I'll never fall away. I'll never fall away. Like, I'll I'll lay, listen, I won't deny you. I'll, I'll lay down my life for you. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't need a co-redeemer. He needed Peter to receive the salvation that Jesus was about to bring. What's my point? My point is this. You will never be able to fully give yourself to the koinonia, to the fellowship, until you embrace a Savior who fully gave Himself for you. Your identity issues, your insecurities, your, your walls, your immaturity, your anxiety, your hurt, All of it finds its answer at the cross of Christ. And it's from the cross that reconciliation flows. It's from the cross that this this reciprocity, this self-giving, this mutual grace for one another flows. And you, you don't have to fake it till you make it with fellowship. And the reason is this, Christian, you already have fellowship with Jesus Christ. And if you will live from an identity in Him, fellowship with the people of Christ will flow from that place. Y'all pray with me this morning.